is going on, baseball fans? Welcome to episode 10 of This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest, a playoff edition of This Week in Baseball. It's going to be all playoff talk all the time, except a little bit of Phillies talk. Um, not too much going on around the league, except for that Phillies change in management, but we'll eventually get to that. Let's not jump too far ahead before I introduce our Wonderful cast, all returning members, the always wonderful Callie Sai, the always present in Diamond Digest, Jonathan Roy, and fellow White Sox fan and fellow White Sox sympathizer after a tough week, Thatcher Zalewski, are joining me on this podcast. We'll jump right into it. Callie, I'll give you a total of 15 seconds, no more to gloat on the White Sox A's result, and then we will move on. Well, it's quite simple. The White Sox don't lose that game if they don't trade J.B. Wendelkin. <laughs> Put him in, in instead of Evan Marshall. I I regret everything. <laughs> I regret everything. I, was, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking more if Renteria had managed the pen better, but yeah, that's also a good point. See, <laughs> I'm very much... I have never been Ricky Renteria's biggest supporter. At the same time your guys got to get out and guys mm-hmm, were not getting sure. out. So they put him in a bad spot. Um, and you can't really manage around. You can't plan for crochet getting hurt. Yeah. I, I think that really threw a wrench in his plans that he probably wasn't expecting. Um, but at the same time, you saw the Padres do what Renneria was trying to do successfully um, uh-huh, a couple days sure, later. Sure, so sure. it works. I, I, I don't think it was a lack of management on his part in that game um i i think it was more so you can't plan for crochet being hurt yeah is what it is i still got my postseason hat on here much to uh christian lloyd one of our writers um dismay i guess telling me i shouldn't be wearing it with pride or something like that and my official response and my only response is at least my team has one (laughs) that being said Let's get into the conversation today. We'll do our normal touching base around the league. Um, in case you haven't seen the playoff results, we'll recap them for you real quick. We only have one weekly debut. Um, it's surprising that we even have one. Uh, so we'll walk through that one. Uh, some sad news to report on Bob Gibson. After that, we'll move into our main segment, the seventh inning stretch talk. A lot of playoffs, a little bit of Phillies baseball. And then we'll move into our storylines and what to watch for. But... Let's not hesitate. Let's dive right in to touching base around the league. There were 16 teams. There are now eight. Let's run through the American League side first. In two games, the Rays beat the Twins in a, or excuse me, the Rays beat the Blue Jays in a pretty uncompetitive, in our uncompetitive series, personally. The Yankees took down the Indians in a really rough series for Indians pitching that we had talked so much about on our previous podcast. Ironically, the Houston Astros gave up a total of two runs against the high powered offense, Minnesota twins. Houston took that series in two. And as we've already prefaced Oakland beat Chicago, um, we don't need to talk about it further, but we can, I'm, I'll, give <laughs> I'll give her some time to talk. On the National League side, another not, un, not an unsuspected result. The Dodgers beat the Brewers in two games. 
the Padres come back from being down one nothing, much like the Athletics did, beat the Cardinals in three, two to one. Miami pulls off one of the bigger upsets over the Cubs. They won both games of their series and really shut down the Cubs' high-powered offense. And the Braves did not allow a single run against the Reds in that entire series, a Reds offense that was highly touted coming into the season. We head to the American League Division Series. It'll be the top-seeded Rays against the five-seed Yankees and a pretty solid matchup there. The six-seed Astros against the two-seed Athletics. And the NLDS will be the Los Angeles Dodgers, the one-seed against the four-seed San Diego Padres. And the six-seed Miami Marlins against the two-seed Atlanta Braves. We will get into more conversation there, talk a little bit about the biggest takeaways. Um, certainly one of the bigger ones that we'll get into. Seven Central Division teams make the playoffs. None of them move into the division series. The White Sox and the Cardinals being the closest to that, both winning one game, um, the other five teams not getting one. Weekly debuts. Surprisingly, we had one. Alex Kriloff, a top prospect for the Minnesota Twins. He made his debut in game two of the AL wildcard round against those Astros. He was one for four in the game, not a huge contribution on his part, but certainly something that, you know, you get to tell your friends and family that your major league debut came in the playoffs. Um, so certainly a name that Twins fans, I'm sure, are very familiar with and a team or a name that team, other teams and their fans should get used to curl off a very highly touted prospect in the twin system. So look out for his name in the future into 2021 and beyond. Wrapping up, touching base with the rest of the league, some sad news, Bob Gibson this week passed away at the age of 84. As you know, a hall of fame pitcher, he passed away after his battle with pancreatic cancer. Certainly we wish him and his family the best and Cardinals fans and the fan base themselves the best. I know this is not an easy time to be losing anybody. Certainly Hall of Famers, certainly people who are and, and still were, were and still are very crucial to the game of baseball and its popularity. Um, so certainly wish the entire Cardinals fan base, the Gibson family, all of the best. If there is nothing else, and I don't believe there is, we will move into our main segment, seventh inning stretch. You know the rules. Thatcher, I don't believe you've played before, even though you've been on the podcast. Yeah, that wasn't a segment when I was on, like, week three, I believe. So. Right. So we will uh, introduce you to it and any new listeners to it. Everyone gets a minute to answer the question I have. Seventh inning stretch, there are seven questions. Uh, that's a great joke that Jay Roy still loves. I will award a point. <laughs> I will award a point um, arbitrarily based on my favorite argument. Um, as we found last week, these get harder for me. And I start to award multiple people points or no people points. Callie, sorry about last week and my grudge. I think you got the karma you needed when these <laughs> took two games. Yeah. Yeah. Socks, but again. You all get one minute to make your argument. No more, maybe less. I don't know. Let's jump right in, though. First question. This week, Matt Klintek, quote unquote, stepped down 
as the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, he will be reassigned to a different position within the organization. Who do you think will serve as his replacement and who should Phillies want to be the replacement? Notice those are two different questions, but might have the same answer. J-Roy, resident Phillies fan, what do you got for me? Yeah, well, so this is a, this is a, you know, a really good thing for Phillies fans. And, you know, this is something that throughout this, you know, albeit shortened season seemed increasingly and increasingly likely as the bullpen just kept getting worse and worse. And uh, the crazy thing is Matt Klintak was not really super inactive as a general manager. He made a lot of moves. And Mm the thing is, those weren't always the best moves. And the crazy thing is this can literally just come down to the bullpen. The reason that Matt Klintak is no longer the Phillies general manager literally has to do with the bullpen. And you're probably thinking, oh, well, I mean, how bad could the Phillies bullpen have been? Well, how about the second worst ERA in a season of all time? Literally, they had a 7.06 bullpen ERA this season. And uh, the Phillies scored for this was from Jason Stark. The Phillies scored first in 41 of their 60 games. In those games, they were 21 and 19. The Dodgers scored first in 38 of their games, and they were 29 and 9 in those games. Just a huge, huge difference. This year, uh, 14 teams made the postseason, I believe. Out of those uh, teams, the Phillies were 10th in starting pitcher ERA. Every single one of those other teams made the postseason. The Phillies missed the postseason. So their starting pitching was not – all that bad not really bad at all honestly we had good seasons from nola and wheeler the bullpen was just that terrible and so i think that what will happen is john middleton the managing partner for the phillies said that what what's most likely going to happen is they'll probably go with someone uh that they believe to be has been around for a long time. I don't think that they're going to go with a decision. It would be nice if Theo Epstein were to leave, you know, leave the Cubs and then come to the Phillies. I do think this is an attractive uh, position. I do. I think that the Phillies have certain exciting players and uh, their upper management does really want to win. So I do think that this is a, an attractive job. Uh, a lot of people are talking about Billy Epler potentially coming to the Phillies. He was uh, the Angels GM who just got fired. I do not want this to happen. I, I do not. Uh, actually, Clintac and Epler were both hired within like a week of each other, I think it was, in 2015. And honestly, they're both – I feel like both of their philosophies are pretty similar. Epler was the Yankees scouting director, I believe, when Joe Girardi was over there. So he does have a relationship with Girardi. That could play. There's also JG Piccolo, JJ Piccolo, who uh, is in the Royals organization. Some people are throwing that name out there. I think that the best uh, the best thing that could happen is definitely uh, Theo Epstein coming over there. He has a proven track record. First of all, that would require a lot of things. We don't even know if he's going to leave the Cubs yet. Even if he does leave the Cubs, we don't know if he would be willing to come to Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's basically what I think of it. You know, really, the Matt Klintak era is really bittersweet and more bitter than sweet, honestly. You know, it's a lot of moves that on paper looked pretty good. Signing of Bryce Harper, 
you know, trading for JT Real Muto, which, you know, that trade looks kind of sour now. And, uh, you know, signing Zach Wheeler, DD this last offseason, who has been way better than I expected. Uh, but Andrew McCutcheon two years ago. But, you know, the bottom line was it, it just wasn't enough. And I just don't think that Clintac did enough with the pitching staff. And uh, ultimately, that's why he is no longer the Phillies general manager. That's a very kind eulogy for mm-hmm. Matt Klentek, who will, like we said, will remain in the organization, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like John Paxton and the Bulls, um, where he was reassigned and we're just going to shove you somewhere where you can't get in the way. Callie, what you thinking? I think you got to be hoping, if you're a Phillies fan, you got to be hoping for Dave Dombrowski. Because <laughs> say what you will about teams after he leaves them he gets a ring that's what he does he sacrifices the future but he does get you a ring and i think that the phillies are in a good spot for someone like uh dombrowski to come in they have good pieces in their farm just some good tradable pieces the biggest being alex bomb their offense isn't the issue i could definitely see um being traded for some bullpen pieces maybe to the brewers uh, you have a key player coming up for a contract extension in Real Muto. I think I think Dombrowski can get bullpen help, and I believe he can re-sign Real Muto. The pieces are there that you don't need a lot to be added. You just need a little bit of spiffing, a little bit of buffing out the edges. You need to make the smooth evenly flowing machine. And I think that's what Dombrowski can do. Thatcher, what'd you got? Well, I do think Dave Dombrowski would be a good choice, but going back to what Jay Roy said about like why he got fired because of the bullpen, he did try to make that bullpen better by bringing in uh, Brandon Workman from the Red Sox mm-hmm. before the trade deadline. Just seems like Philadelphia is like cursed for good relievers because David Robertson got signed and, even pitch a single game for the Phillies. So I don't know if you can really blame Klentek. I mean, kind of can for not putting together a competitive enough roster to make the postseason, especially in a 60-game season where the National League East was not very good this year. So I don't know. I mean, but probably Dombrowski would be the best choice for the Phillies. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say I, I would be happy with Dabrowski. Honestly, I don't think that would be a bad choice. And to your point, Thatcher, I uh, definitely there's been some there's been some really bad luck for the Phillies or has, you know, like you said, David Robertson just not being healthy. Sir Anthony Dominguez getting hurt last season. Uh, it ha- You could say that it hasn't all been Clintac's fault. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's what have you done for me lately? And, you know, the Phillies literally went uh I think it was one in seven in their last eight games they needed to just win two of those eight games to make the postseason and they couldn't do even that so uh and in large part to the bullpen being atrocious so Jerry I'm gonna be honest this was your point to lose and somehow you lost it there were 16 playoff teams not 14 oh Callie you (laughs) get the point um dave dombrowski is where um prospects go to die so i hope you don't have any (laughs) prospects you really uh feel like holding on to because they're gonna be gone real quick but he gets results he he does you can't argue Mm -hmm. with that 
I mean, the other it, per, the other uh, option Jonathan brought up, uh, Theo Epstein. Epstein also has a history of trading prospects for mm-hmm. rings, so it, they're not. I don't think they're all that dissimilar. No, I think it, it's a fairly complete roster. Yeah, Any, anyone who comes in, they're not going to have their hands that full. You might not even need to be looking outside of the organization organization yeah. for a GM. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to be a household name, especially with the Angels position open. I think that's a far more attractive um, position where all I need to do is learn how to sign good starting <laughs> pitching, which in theory should not be that hard mm-hmm. when I have the best player in baseball and another top five player, arguably, in Rendon. It should not be that hard. I don't know. We'll see what Philly does. I'll, I'll be curious because much like – Anaheim, the um, the weakness is so very clear; it should not be that hard. Uh, they're both very attractive positions. Well, In my defense, oh, I was referencing a Ryan Spader tweet that listed the top fourteen teams in starting pitcher ERA. So I accidentally said fourteen instead of sixteen teams. My bad, lad. I'm I'm not forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll make up for it soon. Don't worry. Such a cruel boss. That's me. I don't deny it. <laughs> Question two. We went from 16 teams to just eight teams over the course of just a couple days, three games per team at most. My question to you is this. What were your biggest takeaways from the wild card round? Kelly, you won the point. We'll start with you. Uh, I think it was just how important bullpens were, both quality-wise and lack of quality. Because, I mean, the Indians, they were in that game until Brad Hand comes in and just absolutely bleh. And the same with the Yankees. They had a hold on that game, but uh, Chapman gives up that little bloop hit and suddenly they're on the ropes. Look at the White Sox series. Mm-hmm. Evan Marshall walks in two straight runs, and those ended up being the deciding runs. Actually, no, Chapman did that. Those put the that put the A's in the driver's seat. That gave them all the momentum. In the Padres series, the Cardinals choked away a game two lead, and then the Padres locked up game three with a bullpen game. Bullpens have been huge in many many series. Absolutely, exciting factor in a lot of them. Absolutely agree, Thatcher. Well, I think it's the offense is not scoring being the main factor and why a lot of these teams got bounced. Look at the Reds in that thirteen inning game against the Braves. They had like bases loaded. I don't even know how many different times, and that offense cannot capitalize. The White Sox, same thing. Jose Abreu came up with the bases loaded. And the clutch spot couldn't need him there. Like just one out only, he grounds on to a double play. It's like the clutch factor. There's just leaving. You can't be leaving runners on in these big postseason games, especially when it's only a three-game series. The offense will win you these games mm-hmm. if, like, I felt Trevor Bauer put up like a really good start against the Braves, and just the Reds' offense gave it away. Kelly, if you keep smiling when we talk about the White Sox, (laughs) you're going to lose points. (laughs) J-Roy, what you got? 
Yeah, so piggybacking off of what Thatcher said, I, I kind of agree. I know as analytical fans, we sometimes kind of decry the notion of clutch hitting, but, you know, in the postseason, that's what wins you games. And I, a lot of teams that ended up getting bounced lacked a lot of clutch hitting. You know, like, for example, the Yankees, like their bats being as good as advertised is the reason they've made relatively quick work of the Indians. Like we said, the Reds through 13 innings literally could not score at all and squandered one of the best postseason starts we've seen in a long time from Trevor Bauer. A lot of other teams, you know, just couldn't get their, uh, their bats going. And that's ultimately the reason they went home. And my original takeaway was going to be that despite the volatility that we were expecting from these three game series, I don't really feel like we saw a lot of upsets, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, A's White Sox was a really, really contested series. Those teams are pretty evenly matched. A's came out of it. I guess you could argue that, you know, the twins should have beaten the Astros. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but you know, besides that Yankees came out on top over the Indians Rays made quick work of the blue Jays. Dodgers beat the Brewers. You know, I don't think every most of the series that we expect, they turned out the way we expected them to turn out. You know, Padres had their backs against the wall, against the Cardinals. You know, they won two straight. So I'll say that it was interesting to see that despite the best of three series, uh, I think most of the teams that proved themselves throughout the regular season came out on top. Point's going to go to Jay right here because I completely agree with that second point there. That there, there was so much talk about, oh, these three game series, anything can happen. And it feels like the right result came out each time. It, mm-hmm. it, it felt like, you know, I mean, to use, I guess, the Blue Jays and the Rays is a good example. We felt like that was pretty, pretty much going to be what it was. Cleveland, sure. Cleveland, New York, that was one where you could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. If your strength, as the Indians was, was your starting pitching, if that didn't hold up, you were done. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, th- I think something like with the Twins and the Astros, the Twins have had on and off again. The, the offense wasn't the same that we saw in 2019, and the result was obvious. And you can go down the list and do the same thing with every team, and I, I just genuinely don't feel that you know, for as much was made about worrying, are, are these great teams going to get bounced? Once you're running your number one against somebody else's number one, it, it's going to feel like the results should be there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. Callie, you almost got a point. However, it was Matt Foster, not Evan Marshall, who gave up those runs. Yes, I'm fact-checking you guys today. <laughs> I got called out for not fact-checking J-Roy last week, and I am on a mission now. See, I don't blame hey, at least I fact checked myself with the uh, the deciding runs. It wasn't uh, you want to talk about Clutch Chad Pinder, who had like yeah. two hits yep. in his career with the bases loaded heading into this game, comes up with a big clutch knock to bring in too. Yeah, the, I, I will <laughs> say the, the A's are that sort of pesky team where if you put guys on and you it, it, they the A's offense works through walks, and if you're and if you're gonna put guys on via the walk you're you're gonna put yourself in a position to burn yourself and that's what happened but let's talk more about these central division matchups after seven teams after having seven teams in the first round of the playoffs there will be no central division teams in the league division series are you reading into these results at all for the al central and the nl central is it just simply 
the, the better teams won or is it this shows how weak these events what are you kind of reading from going from seven teams in the playoffs to none just like that we'll start with um the central fan here thatcher well for some teams i would be reading into it and looking into it more while some others i feel like not so much like the white Sox. i feel like there's not much to really look into there's the young team first playoff appearance for a lot of these guys. I mean, they're just kind of they're there. They kind they know how to like deal with it now. But like a team like the Cubs, that core they've been to the postseason. They've been to the World Series most of that core, and not putting, not winning, taking a single game from the Marlins. I think that's definitely something to look into there. Cincinnati, I feel like can be the same thing said there with like the White Sox, Cardinals. I felt most people. We're expecting the Padres to win that series. So I don't think there's not much to look into there. And Indians, I don't know. They just kind of choked, I feel, with their pitching. Shane Bieber, I, I I was not expecting him to get rocked like that after a Cy Young year. And then the Twins, that series probably could have gone either way, even though the Astros were the uh, mm-hmm. lower seed. So. I feel it's like a 50-50 of what teams you're going to look into for like next year and what teams there's not much to look into. Kelly, what you got? I think it's just an inherent result of the relative level playing, level level talent level uh, the teams are on. When you compare the AL and NL Central to divisions like the AL West and the AL East, there aren't those teams that have that are heads and shoulders above the other teams. So I think that all of them getting in is just going to be a something you have to an inherent result of the the, the state of their divisions. I do not think that them getting bounced early is a inherent knock on them because they were all facing some pretty good teams. I mean, mm-hmm. Padres. Indians. The only really ones that I think is, you know, really notable is the Cubs getting bounced by the Marlins. Because I think because the Cubs, they had what, you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks on the mound? You you should be winning those games. Mm -hmm. But the offense just could not get going. And I mean, against Sixto Sanchez, there's a little bit of the under, it's a little understandable, but in that first one, they definitely should have won. J. Roy? So, yeah, I will say that I am reading into this a little bit, just especially on the National League side of things. I guess with this year's playoff format, you know, we saw – we knew we were seeing a lot more teams in the playoffs than were actually playoff caliber teams. And I think you could make that case for both the Brewers, Reds, and Cardinals, all of them, you know. Over the none of those teams were better than two games over uh, 500 this year, and in a regular 162 game season, there's a possibility that none of those teams would have made the playoffs. You know, I do think that the Cubs were a pretty strong team that just got really cold in two games against the Marlins. Uh, on the American League side of things, I don't, I wouldn't be as worried. I think the Twins are a really good team. You know, I do think that they just kind of underperformed in that series against the Astros. The Indians are a team where I do think that they kind of overperformed in this 60-game season. I think over the course of 162, 
an offense that was as poor as that offense was throughout the season, I definitely think that that team goes from being 35 and 25 where they were and being closer to 500 over the course of 162. Now the White Sox are a team that I think was, was were really good. And I do think that, uh, so if you have the twins and the White Sox at the top of that AL central, I don't think that that, it mean, I don't think that's very bad for a division. You know, I, I don't think that the AL central is any poorer than any of the other divisions. The NL central is a little bit of a different story but I do think that what we saw was basically, I, th- I think it honestly could have been expected. We knew we were going to see some teams that didn't really deserve to be there. And I think in the Brewers, Reds, and Cardinals, we saw those. So we saw that. A lot of good, not a lot of great teams is kind of what I'm getting here, um, which I agree with. And, yeah. and because it's the argument all three of you made, all three are going to get a point. Again, this is a completely arbitrary system. But I, I do agree that when you look at, like, the Yankees and the Rays, those real juggernaut-type teams, the, the Central Divisions just don't have one of those right now. Um, the Cubs were one. It kind of feels like they're on the back half of that. The, the Twins feel like – and the, the Twins feel like they should be but aren't getting to that next step. The White Sox is still too early to find out if they're ever going to be there. I think the Indians' offense will prevent them from ever being there. And I think if you're the Brewers and you stop building at trading for Christian Yelich, you're going to have problems at any point. I, I think once they kind of stopped there and said, all right, let's just try and patchwork the rest, you see the results. But it, it is telling when four National or NL Central teams make the division – or excuse me, make the playoffs, and one is first round uh, – or the first overall pick in the draft. Um, that lends to some – questionable makeup of those teams but question four in the league division series there could be as many as five games in five days for each of these clubs i'm asking you all to put on your manager cap get in your manager armchair whatever have you and tell me how you would best utilize your pitching staff to win the next series kelly you're the one with the playoff team you can go first (laughs) We saw, I think, a brilliant move by Dusty Baker in the uh, twin series to by piggybacking uh, Granky and Framber Valdez. And I think that you're going to see that happen in this next upcoming series because games, uh, Grank, uh, Dusty Baker said that the starters would be Lance McCullers Jr. and Framber Valdez. I'm almost 100% sure of that, uh, but Matt Buster that Baker is saving Granky to piggyback either Valdez or McCullers because that Astros bullpen is not great. Now, on the flip side for this series, this is why I think the A's pitching staff is so underrated. You saw Montas come out of the bullpen for the A's in that last series against the White Sox. He's not the only one who can do that. Mike Miner's done it before. Jesus Lazardo can do it. And I think that in against uh, game one, Chris Bassett, I do think that the possibility of Melvin throwing out Montas after Bassett goes maybe five or six innings is a high one. Thatcher. Yeah, I think the, what Callie said, a lot of the piggybacking is going to be happening in this next five days here is that a lot of these managers are going to want to save their bullpen for a potential game five scenario where they needed to get those outs 
and hoping their bullpen can do it because I'm trying to get my starter to go three times through the order here in these games because I'm trying to that will probably at least be hopefully a six innings bullpen. You just need three three innings, nine outs. So I, I'm like with McCullers and Granky. Granky put up five, I think, against the Twins. If he can do that for me in the postseason and go to Framber Valdez for the next four innings, I think that works perfectly. Save those arms, two pitchers a game, that's perfect for me in the postseason for these next five days. Jay Roy? Yeah, I completely agree that you're going to need to save your bullpen arms. You, you know, there are scenarios where you might need one of your relievers to throw four times in five days. And so I think that, you know, not every team is the Rays or the Dodgers or the A's with really, really strong bullpens. And so, you know, a team like the Braves, you might need Max Freed to go at least seven innings, you know, whenever he's throwing. Even with, even if you are the Rays or the Dodgers, you know, you're going to want Blake Snell and Charlie Morton and Glasnow. You want them to go deep, deep, deep into games because you know that you are going to be exhausting your bullpen arms. Uh, you know, I think that managers are just going to have to rely on their aces a little bit more than usual. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're your aces for a reason. I think that in scenarios where it's not exactly clear, should we leave him in another inning? Should we go ahead and pull him, go to our bullpen? I think managers are going to have to, you know, let's say we're going to ride him out. We're going to see – we're going to let our number one guys take us as far as they possibly can. That's interesting. I, I'm curious to see how teams manage it because I don't know if you're winning. You, you don't want to push it out to five if you don't have to. I, I don't know if you – I'm curious to see what teams plan for five or will it be more so I'm planning for three, trying to get out of here in three, and if I can't, well, I just got to patchwork the rest. Um, personally, I would treat every game as if I need to win it versus trying to plan for a game in the future. Whereas I, I think that the trap in doing so is you get in a situation where you're close in a game or you're losing it. Let's just say you're losing like four nothing. It's the sixth inning and you're kind of giving up on that game. And then a couple more runs score. Now it's like six, seven, nothing. Now all of a sudden now you're up down seven, four somehow. It's like, well, cause you just gave up that game. You just gave up those couple innings. Now you just kind of gave up that game when he could have been tied or a couple innings later. So it's like, it's, it's, it's not a position I envy. And it's one of, do you try and play? I'm trying to win all three of these games and I'm making moves as if I need to win all three. Or is it going to be kind of like you guys were saying where it's more of that piggybacking strategy. It's saving those arms as far down the line as possible. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that you might see some managers get some too good to use syndrome which is what I applaud Sandy Elmore Jr. for in the uh, Indian series. He brought in James Karnachak uh, with the bases mm -hmm. loaded, and it didn't work out, but bringing Karnachak in at that moment was the right thing. Yeah, what was it, like the fourth inning, I think? Yeah. So it's like, at a certain point, I got to I gotta manage this game. Because yes. if, if I throw this game, now I've just pushed myself back mm -hmm. for a game. I'm not even sure what's going to happen yet. Jimmy Cordero, who pitched 30 appearances for them. Right, right. He throws like 35 pitches in game two against the A's. And it saves the bullpen like perfectly. You're bringing up a good point, Cordero, Thatcher. Mm -hmm. And then the next night, everyone 
<laughs> shits the bed. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're like looking down at the bullpen. I'm like, all right, I've got Dylan Cease down here where he's a starter. And I've got Jimmy Cordero who just threw 35 pitches last night. So it's like, it's like, shoot, now I got to go to Cordero probably. So it's like, it's that same situation where, you know, saving your best arms is one thing. It's another to have your best arms perform as their best arms. And I think the White Sox especially saw the danger in that is when your best arms don't perform, good luck. Type yeah. Thing. yeah. When, you're, when your main strategy is my best arms are going to perform, you better hope it works out because you don't have a good plan B at that point. So it's interesting. Callie made the original point about piggybacking, so you'll get the point there. And through four questions, Kelly has three points, J-Roy has two, the newbie Thatcher has one. I'll blame it on being a beginner, and I'll give you the first crack at it in fact or fiction. Question number five, the Miami Marlins are the most likely team to pull off a league division series upset. Fact or fiction? Thatcher, we'll start with you. Well, I was looking at this question earlier, and at first I'm thinking, okay, it's probably a fact, but then I remembered the Yankees are the lower seed against the Rays, so that's why I'm saying it is fiction because I feel out of all the lower-seeded teams, the Yankees have the best chance to pull off an upset against the Tampa Bay Rays. I think Gary Cole, Tanaka, and the, whoever else can go – those games and really shut down the Rays offense as explosive as they were against the Blue Jays. I think the Rays will have the highest chance of being upsetted in the, the Dia division series. Jay Roy. Yeah. So last week, you know, our fact or fiction question was about the Indians being the most dangerous team. Shut up. Don't even the, say nothing. And, and uh, you know, I was feeling ballsy and I went with fact there, you know, because I was going, you know, hard overhead. So now I'm going to use my head a little bit more and say that this is fiction. I don't think that their chances against the Braves are that great. And uh, to Thatcher's point, looking at these other series, yeah, that's true. The Yankees are the lower seed against the race, but it's hard for me to look at that Yankees race series and look at either of those teams as underdogs. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Dodgers Padres as great as the Dodgers have been all year. The Padres have been maybe the second team in the world. Like it's hard for mm -hmm. me to look at either of those series and say, Oh, either team is under same with A's Astros based on, you know, if you factor in the circumstances, how good those teams were throughout the regular season, that seems like a pretty evenly matched is the only one here where I feel like one team has a much larger edge over the other. So I'm definitely going to go with fiction here. I don't really think – I could be wrong, of course, but I don't really see the Marlins pushing the Braves to five games or even winning that series. I think the Padres' chances against the Dodgers are better, honestly. All right, I'm putting a bet down Marlins in three. Thanks for that, J-Roy. <laughs> <laughs> Callie, what you thinking? I got to agree with Thatcher. We saw what the Yankees could do to really good pitching in that, um, mm -hmm. in that Indian series. If I'm the, if I'm the Rays, I'm, I'm sweating in my cleats a little. I mean, no matter how good that bullpen is, no matter how good your starters are, that lineup is just 
it's Murderer's Row Part 2, or Part 3, or I guess if you're not counting the 90s and early 2000s teams. Thatcher gets the point, but Kelly also gets one, because sweating in my cleats is like four different cliches combined into one, <laughs> and still making up her own, which is fantastic. Question number six, sweating in my cleats, oh my god. <laughs> Just, I don't know why I found that so funny. Just like in the wild card round, Major League Baseball has set up games to take place early in the afternoon. Um, I believe A's and Astros kick off around 2.30 Central Time. It's either 1.30 or 2.30 Central Time. So it'll be something to keep me busy during work. My question is this, is Major League Baseball doing more harm or good to itself by having playoff games start this early in the afternoon? Let's see, both... Kelly and Thatcher. Kelly, you're 16. Thatcher, you're 17? 16. 16. You're both 16, so you're both in school tomorrow. So I'm going to have you two go first with this question. Since, Thatcher, you had the last point, I'll let you go first again. Give me your explanation as someone who's in school. I think that's part of the big argument, so go ahead. So I feel this does a little bit of both harm and good to Major League Baseball because – it is getting like there are people who are working who are tech are on their lunch breaks during those times gets those kind of viewers in saying they're sitting around doing nothing on their lunch break turn on baseball and there's a game there's also the harm of people like me when i was in school it was very hard for me to pay attention because the socks started at 2 30 every day so i'm it was hard for me to stay like focus during my uh online classes that are going on to while watching my favorite team in their first postseason burst since 2008 so I think it's doing a little bit of harm and good to baseball and because of the harm too, viewership dropping because you have those people who are working and in school and viewership's going to drop because they don't have the chance to turn on the game and watch their favorite teams Thatcher, I know you weren't paying attention to your classes on the, with those games. On. <laughs> yeah. Don't even try lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> Callie, same question to you. Oh, man, I am just euphoric. Man, I'm going to go to the Coliseum, steal my cutout, put it in my chair, and then log on to Zoom and watch the game. They won't even notice the difference. <laughs> but, yeah, this is extremely bad for the game. You can't – how are people supposed to – try and follow when they're trying to just make ends meet. It's ridiculous how the how the MLB has put the Yankees on such a pedestal that you put every other fan base at such a yeah. in such a difficult position and such a unenviable one. I'm going to get back to that point after I let J. Roy uh, state his piece. Yeah, I, do, I don't think this, this is good for the league or baseball at all. You know, I think that, you know, coming into this weekend, we could have had so much opportunity for a ton of fun baseball games being played. And the thing is, a lot of these games that have been played have been really good. You know, they've been mm-hmm. a lot of fun to watch, you know, uh, and a lot of people aren't seeing them, I feel like, just because they're being scheduled at such odd times. And it's kind of baffling. I don't really understand why the league is 
so opposed to first of all evening games it seems like you know it's only the west coast teams that are playing games later in the evening and game like why were there no MLB games this weekend it it really just doesn't make sense to me and I don't think that it is in the best interest of young fans who like you said are in school and any fans of all age really you know if, if you're having to work during the game you obviously can't turn on the game you can't watch it and uh it's kind of sad to see and it's something that I hope I hope the league sees negative feedback kind of from the fans and does something to change it in the future to go to Callie's point, anybody's if you're a Yankees fan and there's millions upon millions of you, you're watching the game no matter what. You're not gaining new viewership by putting the Yankees on TV. You might gain new viewership if you put the A's on primetime TV at or 7 o'clock. Padres. Or the Padres. The, the Padres no being one of the most fun teams. Yeah. Put mm. them in the Yankees spot. What good does it do to grow your viewership by putting one of the more passionate, gigantic fan bases on at a time that if you put them on at 2.30, they'd still be watching the game. That's just my personal opinion on it. I, I mean, mean aren't the Yankees like the second or third most valuable sports franchise in the world? Right. Like, um, who doesn't know about the Yankees? Right. But mm-hmm. who knows about the A's? Who, who knows about Matt Olson or Sean Murphy? Who knows about Fernando Tatis Jr. or Manny mm-hmm. Machado? I agree. Those I are think the people you need to be amplifying right now. The, and uh, the MLB has dropped the ball on putting more eyes on players like those, putting more eyes on the future of the game. Well, yeah, I completely the, agree. The, the Trevor Bauer performance was that game started at 11 o'clock central time in the morning. Yeah. Like, that, how, that should be later in the day, like a primetime pitching matchup like that especially like most people miss that they turn on the game and it's our it's on it's in extras now like you're wondering what happened the previous innings that it got to this point i would prefer something where and i think it's espn plus they do this where i think it was jason benetti and a couple other guys had yeah like, it's a bunch yeah. of, it, they recap yep. every moment they're of- they got like two games going on at the same time you're watching both you're listening to them talk about both that's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I think NFL Red Zone does something like that. Yeah, if if you're you should put more if you got to put both the Padres and the Yankees on a prime time, fine. I prefer you not put the Yankees on a prime time anyway. If you got to put two teams on, do it something like that where you're if you're on ESPN, you're seeing two games on your TV at the exact same time, and yeah. you have broadcasters who are talking about it because the more if you got ESPN doing six games, now you're diluting the quality of the broadcasts. Because yeah, that. it's like with the White Sox game where it, they're on after the Braves Reds and people are like trying to figure out what channel that's the a game good is starting too. on. Games carried over into mm-hmm. each other and now you can figure out what channel everyone's on. And I, I, I think in theory they wanted to have baseball on all day and i get that but it's on a tuesday afternoon yeah that uh, that that's if you're doing it on a weekend that's yeah it, they should if, if if they did what they did on tuesday wednesday and thursday instead on saturday or sunday it would have been amazing yeah, it been, uh, the, I, yeah the best I day of the year that. yeah if you got games going on from 11 to 11 all day 
nonstop on ESPN. That's great on a Saturday because I had nothing better to do on a Saturday. Yeah. I, Thatcher mentioned that uh, the Trevor Bauer, when he turned in his great performance, that game started mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock. I remember thinking, like, what if, like, back in 2010, Roy Halladay's uh, uh, no-hitter against the Reds in game one of the NLDS? That's one of my most cherished moments ever as a baseball fan. That game started at, like, 6 Central. Imagine if it was while I was still in school at, like, 11. Mm -hmm. That would have been awful. Like, I would – one of the – my favorite memories ever would have been gone, you know. So, it's just – it's really all around. I don't think it's a good thing. I think the problem is the MLB – MLB is afraid of losing viewers to college and NFL football, but that's, but you should keep, but on ESPN and on major networks like ABC, you should have stuff like that because then you get fans that bleed into both. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get people who turn on the TV for football. They get it watching uh, the, say a football fan who wanted to watch the Rams, they turn on and see, tattoos fat maybe they get invested in baseball because of that you can't be afraid to try and get more eyes on product you're a huge multi-billion dollar company you can afford to compete with college Mm -hmm. football but callie's imagery of stealing her cutout from the coliseum won her that point a little while ago um I was thinking yeah. that as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh, if I, since I went first, if I said that, that would <laughs> I'm like, I probably would have won the point. I, it's completely arbitrary. So don't feel bad that yeah. Kelly has way too much practice with this being on all of these episodes. So she knows exactly how to win points. <laughs> Last question before we head into our storylines and then our favorite series. Obviously, you've had a couple of days to think about this with no baseball on over the weekend, something we just touched on. Predict the winners of each of the LDS matchups, and you know I will be writing these down. So, J-Roy, I want you to go first so I know who to bet on the opposite team. Awesome. So, I'll start with you. Okay, so... First up, we'll start with A's Astros. I'm going with the Astros here. I think we will get the upset from the lower seeded team. And I think that uh, veteran presence will make a big difference in this series. Astros have been here. They've done this. And I think even though this team has not looked as strong as we've seen in recent years, I definitely think having veteran presence, Correa has been here before. Uh, Bregman's been here before. I, I think we'll see really good pitching performances from Granke, from McCullers, I, I, you know, that's not to say that the A's can't put up a good fight. I think it'll be a very hotly contested series, but I'm going with the Astros here. In Braves, Marlins, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to go with the Braves here. I was really impressed with the Braves uh, in their series against the Reds. You know, for all this talk about Trevor Bauer going in game one against them, that series, Max Freed was almost just yep. as good. They, he is an ace in his own right. And I think we see a game, you know, Freed against Sixto. It's kind of a toss. You know, I don't really – I'd probably go with Freed having the edge there. So, you know, Marlins offense, really not that good. Braves offense, fantastic. So, uh, I definitely think that will give them a fairly large edge there. I'm going to go with the Braves. Dodgers, Padres. Um, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I just think they have a little bit too much firepower. Um 
you know, I want to go with the Padres here. I really do because they're such a fun team. But I just think the Dodgers gonna they're gonna run Bueller out there. They're gonna run Kershaw out there. Back end of that pen has Trinan, Kenley Jansen. I just I yeah I see them winning that series. And then Yankees Rays. I'm gonna go with the Yankees here. I think that offense has too much firepower. We saw what they did against an Indians team that has some really, really good pitching. Uh, they made, you know, didn't really seem to bother them that much. And like I said, the Rays have really good pitching. I don't think it'll phase the Yankees too much. And so I just think that they are a more talented roster than the Rays. And, you know, provided they don't get into like bullpen battles, you know, where the Rays have the edge, I think the Yankees will take this series. Callie, I can predict at least one of your predictions, but go for it. I got the A's being the Astros. The A's pitching staff, not including Mike Fires and Jesus Lazardo, they were lights out against a White Sox team that has a much better offense than the Astros. And I do think that the Astros pitching, when I do think that the Astros are going to limit bullpen usage, and that's going to hurt the A's because Valdez, the Colors, and Granky are all very good. But I think that the offense will still score enough runs that the pitching is going to do its job and lock down the Astros for the offense to get the win. I, I think the A's will win in four. Now, for the Rays-Indians, I'm going with my Rays-Indians. Rays Yankees. I'm going with my heart on this one. I've got the Rays in five. I just don't think the back half of the Yankees rotation can can compare to what the what the uh, Rays bring. I just don't think that. I think it will falter and that will let the Yankees down. Now on to the NL. I Braves easily. They're going to match their way to the. Uh, championship series. I got them in three. I think it's going to be a sweep. I, I'm just not sold on the uh, on the Marlins offense, and I think Ian Anderson and Max Ride, Max Ride can Max Reed can shut them down easily. And Padres Dodgers, watching pa- watching the Dodgers play the Brewers, it shocked me. The Dodgers didn't really do much they only scored seven runs in the entire series and two of them came because uh what's his name bruce Suter lost or brent or whatever the brewers first pitcher lost all control in the first inning and walked into batters of course they held the brewers to just two runs the entire series but the Padres' offense is leaps and bounds better than the brewers offense i think the brewers I think the Padres are going to win it in five. I'd be okay with that result. Thatcher, what you got? All right, so I'm going to start in the National League. We'll go with the Dodgers and Padres series. I think the Padres, like, it's kind of lost in game one with Tatis struggling, and um, I think that's going to hurt the Padres against the Dodgers because the Dodgers have faced the Padres ten times over the mm-hmm. – regular season the Dodgers know how to pitch to these young guys on the Padres I think the Dodgers win this series in four games I think the Padres do sneak one out on the um Dodgers 
maybe uh, Kershaw, even though his dominant start in, against the Brewers, but I do think the Dodgers win that series in four. And the Braves-Marlins series, well, in the Dodgers, whatever, I have the Marlins winning, but I'm not so confident with that anymore. So I'm going <laughs> to go with the Braves winning that one and four as well. I do think Sixta will put together a good enough start that the uh, Marlins can Braves in that game and a game and the Marlins losing four. Now to the L. Probably the most competitive series I believe we'll we'll see in the division series is the Rays Yankees. I have the Rays winning that one in five games. As much as I say the Yankees have the best chance to upset, I still think the Rays can pull it off and head to the championship series to face the Oakland Athletics, who the a rematch of the wild card from last year. I I think the Oakland Athletics are a way better team than the Houston Astros this year. As much as that somehow the Astros pulled off the upset against the Twins, I still think the Athletics are a way better team and they will sweep the Astros. They will sweep the Astros. Wow. Yes. Interesting. I'll have to come back to these and see. I don't know what I want or what I think. I <clears throat> I think the Rays will probably beat the Yankees in four or five. Um, I don't know. It really depends for Houston and Oakland if Houston, how, how the pitching staff holds up. Um, I think if you're going to gift the A's runs, they're gladly going to take them because if you're not throwing strikes, they will gladly take their walks. Um, that was the most frustrating thing I saw when playing them. Um, it's, so it's really going to come down to that. Dodgers-Padres, I think that will be the best series out of all of them. It's the one I'm personally most excited for. Um, Braves-Marlins. Eh, run with the Marlins. Just have some fun. Let's, let's, let's have some fun upsets here. Never but, lost the playoff series. So. Yeah, never lost a playoff series. It's hard to bet against them. <laughs> let's talk about our storylines. You know, a lot of these are probably going to be about the playoffs or stuff we saw there, but that's not necessarily true. Before we jump into that, I guess I should congratulate Callie on winning yet another episode of Seventh Inning Stretch. That was pretty handily done. That was five points to both Thatcher and Jay Royce, too. Um, you're getting too good at this. I'm going to have to change the rules eventually. So let's let's jump into the storylines, though. Callie, as the winner, we'll start with you. Um, Chris Davis is back in a big way. Not only is he taking more walks than he has before in his career he's made an adjustment to his swing and now he's back to absolutely clobbering ball as you saw in the wild card series against the against the uh white Sox. i think in game two it was he had four hard hit balls and then in game three he had another few davis has always He's always needed his power to be successful because he never drew a bunch of walks. But now, not only is his power back, but he's also drawing more walks. So if I think he has the chance more than ever to be better than ever, I think we could see a Nelson Cruz-type career progression with him. Obviously not to the heights Cruz had, but still playing at a very high level into his 
30s and late 30s and maybe even 40s. He's just, he just hits the crap out of the ball when he's on, and he is on right now. Yeah, being able to take out a singer baller like Keuchel in game two, that's, no, no matter what, that's certainly impressive. Um, something to look forward to, hopefully for A's fans. Thatcher, what you got? Well, mine is Rick Renteria and the White Sox fan. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> after the game three loss, I think after all Sox fans collected themselves after a heartbreaking loss, they were on Twitter calling for Rick Renteria's head. <laughs> and look, hoping he gets fired this offseason. Now, I do not see that happening. The players love Renteria on the team. They relate to him in interviews. I heard Eloy talk about how much he likes Renteria, especially because he is bilingual. And that is kind of harder to find a manager who is bilingual and mm-hmm. can re- relate to the players better. I was watching um, – Draftneck Mark's YouTube video the other day talking to ranking the managers and when he said he was in spring training and after the media left he heard like the Sox playing music and the door opened and he said he saw Rick Rentier like with his shirt off dancing so he's just a clubhouse guy the players love him I don't think he's going to get fired as and there's not many options like available I don't think for uh a manager like there's not a Joe Madden available this offseason for like how they're cut people are comparing that the Sox need their Madden like how the Cubs got Madden and that put them over the edge I don't see a candidate available and especially it was a 60 game season I feel with this talented roster I want to give them a fair 162 game season if that does happen next year to see how really he does with this team. If, the, again, they don't do much, like they are first-round exit or don't really succeed in the regular season, I definitely can see him not being the manager for the 2022 season. The White Sox fan base collected themselves. That's a really funny <laughs> joke, yeah. Thatcher. That's funny. That I don't think that's ever happened. That's that's really funny. Um, with Renneria, that's an interesting conversation to have there. I think it's going to be hard to find someone now where you're like, I can justify removing him because of the clubhouse presence. I think he's so instilled himself into that team that um, it, it makes it hard to replace him, especially after a 60-game season. I think he deserves the chance at a full 162. He, des- he deserves a chance with a full roster. Um, I, I don't think they've given him the most capable roster yet. I hope they give him one next year. Um, and I, I believe he's only on a one-year deal. So 2020 years of prove it, I put up or shut up type year for him. Um, but certainly I know a lot of fans were willing to blame him for that game three loss. I don't, and I'm not his biggest supporter. Um, you got to throw strikes and that's not run a Rita's job to do. Jay Roy. What you got for our storyline? Yeah, so my storyline is going to be the Houston Astros. And, uh, you know, this is a really weird time. Like, if you're a Houston Astros fan, it'd be a really weird time to be a fan. You know, they've gotten so much heat, and deservedly so because of the cheating scandal and everything. And the Astros finished 29-31 and this season. It'd be crazy looking a couple years ago at that team and saying, yeah, this team's not going to finish 500 this season. That would be insane to Mm -hmm. think just because of how talented they were. And, you know, look at now they're in the postseason and they're, they made it through to the division series. 
I really feel like we could blink and in a few weeks it will be in the World Series again like we've seen for the last few years or so. Uh, just a really, really crazy, crazy arc for them. You know, they're, they're the villains this season. Uh, some of them haven't really liked accepting that role. They're not really leaning into it. You know, Correa and all of them still trying to deny certain involvements in the whole scandal and everything. But at the end of the day, it's their job to go out there and play baseball. And they've been doing that. So I think they've got a really good shot this series against the A's rounds after that. We'll see what happens, but at the end of the day, I really think that the Astros could make a deeper on this postseason. I think Correa has been more than willing to make himself the villain. And Let so me has. Wipe away for a tear for all those poor Astros fans. <laughs> <laughs> all right, before Kelly gets herself into too much trouble, let's close the storybook and turn on the TV. And we're going to talk about what we're watching this week. And everyone will pick which of the four division series matchups they're most excited for and give us a little preview of why. Um, Mine personally, I'll save for last just so I don't steal anyone. Who did we start with last time? We started with Callie, so this time we'll start with Jay Roy. Yeah, for so for me, it's going to be Dodgers Padres. You know, Padres are seemingly every baseball fan's favorite team right now, mm -hmm. most exciting team to watch. They've just got so many things to be excited about, whether it be Tatis or Machado. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I cannot wait to watch them continue to play baseball. I'm so glad they made it out of that Cardinal series. And the Dodgers, you know, for a team that I really am not a huge fan of at all, I really enjoy watching them play. They've just, they're just so, so deep, so talented. It'll be really fun seeing Walker Bueller pitch. Really fun seeing Kershaw pitch. I'm really, really looking forward to this series. Thatcher? I, I'm saying again, the most what I think is going to be the most competitive series: Yankees versus Rays. I, I'm I really like the Rays as a team. I think they're one of the more kind of complete teams. I feel like there's not really many holes in their lineup. They don't have the biggest names, but you look at their lineup and there's not really any holes like from the postseason or during even the regular season. And the Yankees, they're the Yankees. They're basically always a good team. They're always going to have competitive games with you i just can't wait to see what happens in that series and kelly i can't imagine i don't know the answer to this question but go it's ahead it's ashes it's everything you love about sports in one series it's got the story it's got the characters it's got the athletic achievements i mean these are two extremely talented teams chris bassett you're he is a joy to watch with his ability to just use both sides of the plate with his sinker and cutter combination. And of course, his gorgeous curveball. I, I, I could have seen that one coming. <laughs> um, my, my personally is Dodgers pod or Dodgers Padres. Um, my team other than the White Sox is forever and always the Tampa Bay Rays, however. So I think if you look at a team that, just is every analytical fan's dream you probably end up with the tampa bay rays so i'm excited for all four series though um certainly something where i mean maybe braves and marlins you feel like you know the winner um certainly none of these other series you feel like you really know the winner unless mm -hmm. you're cali right now in which case 
well, the A's are definitely the winners, obviously, and all that fun stuff. But that's really going to do it for us this week. A lot of playoff talk, a lot of playoff baseball still to come, a lot of playoff talk still to come. Make sure, as always, to follow us at Diamond underscore Digest on Twitter, diamond-digest.com for all of your writing and analytical samples. Um, Certainly all three of these fabulous writers on here are doing their thing. What else? Oh, the Diamond Digest Playoff Challenge. If you are part of that, our ESPN Playoff Challenge, make sure to do your second round picks before the games start. And I'm sure they start pretty early uh, on Monday. So make sure to do it before the games start so that if you're in the lead, you can continue to be there. Um, I only got like 50% of my picks right. So I'm struggling. When I looked at the standings, I think you were right behind me, actually. That's not a good thing. So... (laughs) Uh, I'm not very high up there, but for those of you who are, make sure you fill those out. Um, And then obviously we have those prizes for both postseason merch and Diamond Digest merch that you can win if you finish in the top three. So looking forward to that. But other than that, that's going to do it for us, folks. For Thatcher Zalewski, for the always wonderful Callie Sai, and for J-Roy, Jonathan Roy, this is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. Have a great week. Enjoy playoff baseball, and we will talk to you next time. Take care.